Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. With the midterm elections in the rearview mirror, the results are in. Oregon has re-elected Kate Brown its governor, and Lane County has a few fresh faces in county commissioner positions. Our guest today has finally caught up on sleep after a long campaign and is ready for a recap and to talk about the future. Joining us next and returning to the podcast for the second time from Our Revolution Lane County, James Barber. the rent podcast i am your host self-esteem boat willie my guest today returning to the podcast is james barber james welcome hey glad to be here again so i appreciate you coming back we had to shuffle the schedule i had promoted that i was going to do this interview on sunday and then you had some other stuff to do so we bumped it ahead so i had no time to prepare so this is going to be flawless (laughs) uh so obviously what we're doing tonight is to recap the midterm elections I think a lot of times what what is lost is the analysis on local stuff. And so that's why I really appreciate you coming and, you know, we can pick your brain a little bit. So, I mean, I'm just going to get right into it. What would you say was your biggest takeaway from from Tuesday night? Uh, locally or nationally or both? Locally. We'll start locally. Locally. Um, great turnout. Great turnout. Right. People are excited to get out and vote. Um, there was... There was a blue wave here in yeah, Oregon. Yeah. Uh, the the biggest issue uh, at the state level was to see all of those bad ballot measures, the statewide ballot measures, get right. defeated handily. Right. So there was a lot of concern that um, all the activism and all the people that were uh, that usually turn out and uh, get the vote out and make people know you know, that the the ballot measures are bad is that they were focused on measure 105 and measure 106. And we weren't hearing a whole lot about 103 and 104. 103 was the supposed grocery tax. The grocery tax. And it's all written. Which, yeah. yeah. Like, do you want to not not do something, you know? So, yeah, the, it was a sly way of um, excluding an entire industry from any future tax changes. And this is an industry that is the heaviest user of our infrastructure. Right. And to exclude that whole inf- industry from having to pay taxes to support the infrastructure that they use would have been devastating to our budget. Right. And that's and, talking about like soda <clears throat> tax that there's been proposed over. Any, I mean, any time. Any, I mean, so, it, it, yeah. it, it even threw in uh, tobacco and vaping and marijuana. That you could not tax that? I mean, yeah. I obviously yeah. just kind of. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. There was a lot. And it, and it went back 
not it wasn't just the retailer. So it wasn't just that they were trying to get away from a grocery tax. It also included the transportation of it, the the uh, warehousing of it. So all the steps in between. It was right. a re, it was basically a reaction to Measure ninety seven. Right. And usually in Oregon, you throw out sales tax as a uh, scare tactic, and you get results that you want. Right. And in this case, it got defeated by a lot. It was sixty percent. You know, yeah. voted against it, which was huge. And and there was not a lot of, um, there wasn't there wasn't a big campaign against it. Yeah. One hundred three and one hundred four. I didn't really because honestly, I didn't spend a lot of time researching it. I just kind of looked at the people that I respect, and that's kind of what a democracy in a republic really is supposed to be. I looked at the people I respect that were against it, like yourself, mm-hmm. and I kind of was like, I, I don't. There's other things I need to focus on. You know? Yeah, that that's one way it can save you time from having to do the research yourself. Right. 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 If you do find those trusted folks that you can look to. Sure. Uh, and I and, mean, that's not like a complete strategy. It's like we had talked about that off air that I think locally there's no analysis show. And I don't think that people should just sit there and have their brains fed what to think. But I think that there's that's what a republic is. Yeah. You know, that there's people that you you believe in that you then give your you can go and do your regular job. You know, that's what politicians should be doing is doing the research for you and then making their case to why you know, this is beneficial to the people. Yeah. And that's part of the power of uh, grassroots groups right. like our revolution lane County indivisible. Right. Um, people have that ability. They know that those folks are in there working on the issues. Right. And so it gives them uh, some comfort right. to see what they're coming up with. And to, if it's different than what you're coming up with, you might think twice. You might look into it a little bit more. Right. And in certain things, obviously different issues are going to have more of an impact to, the, to each individual. So, you know, if you're a pro choice person and that's like a, that's a one issue vote for you, then obviously if Planned Parenthood supports something, you're probably going to want to go with that right. or vice versa, to be honest, you know, so a lot of people choose that too. You yeah. know, it's a pretty easy one. You see League of Women voters for a lot of people that that'll motivate them to be like, no more. I don't need to look any farther. And that's probably not great that people are kind of done at that. But I mean, it's better than not voting that you're Absolutely. going with, with, you know, the tide, I guess. Yeah. And so, then uh, let's shift back to more local. Um, that was state level at the local level. Uh, the county commission flipped right now. Joe Bernie an, taking over for Lane County, Joe Bernie and Heather Buck and Heather Buck won. in East Lane County. And that was the, uh, the race that you had, had been in. Yep. Yep. During the primary. So Joe Bernie defeated Sid Lichen. He was a long-term incumbent, right? Uh, he did that in the primary. So he was able to help get out the message during the general election for Heather. He was definitely supporting Heather. Because he uh, had reached the over 50%. Yep. He right. went over 50% in the primary. Right. And uh, Heather was going up against Gary Williams, who was the who was the incumbent. He was appointed by the previous commissioners. Right. And uh, really didn't do, do much in that seat. Uh, right. It was, it was good to see some change in that seat. Uh, I think that, I think Heather will be... Uh, more active in the community. Right. More, Isn't, am I right that she's reactive. involved with St. Vincent de Paul? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Her, her father-in-law is the president of okay. St. Vincent de Paul. So there's Vincent some Paul. community outreach right there, yep. you know, so that's good. Yeah. They've been involved in helping rehabilitate mobile home parks in Lane County. Mm-hmm. Um, she has been in, in charge of that program. So, when she comes in and she talks about her specialty is housing and we have an affordable housing crisis. Right. So we're really hoping that 
she's going to bring something something to the table that will actually get something done here in the now short she's term. in East Lane County, so that's but that mm-hmm. does cover parts of Eugene. We we talked about this the first time I had you on, that it's such a a wide range of areas, so it's outskirts of town, but it does cover part of Eugene. Now, it, what, it gets what the Churchill neighborhood of okay, Eugene, right? Yeah, and and so it goes around South Eugene. It gets the Lorraine Valley, which is where Heather lives. But then it goes up and it gets the whole Churchill neighborhood. Uh, there's about ten thousand Eugenians right. that it that it covers. If somebody so. was just absolutely new to politics and especially on a local level, what is it exactly to you that a county commissioner does? So the county commissioners determine the direction that the county is going to go. Uh, the county commissioners are in charge of all of the unincorporated areas in the county. Right. So if you live in a city, if you live in Eugene. You have neighborhood associations with neighborhood leaders. You have uh, city councilors that you can go to, and you have a mayor. And then above that point, you have uh, the county commissioners. So it's kind of like a governor. So you basically, yeah. If you if you live in the town, if you live in a city, you don't. You have a few layers of government before you get to the county commissioner. If you live outside of the city, that county commissioner may be the first level of government that you interact with. So if you have an issue with. uh, traffic, the traffic system, traffic lights, stop signs. You need something going on with the roads. You go to your county commissioner, right? Uh, and the mayor of each small town would then answer to the county commissioner. Essentially, I mean, they work together. No, they work together. Yeah, right. they definitely look to work together. Right. Um, the mayors, each town has their own budget, basically. Right. But unincorporated areas, it's straight up to the county. Right. Uh, but working with the county is definitely beneficial, and so the county commissioners do work with all of the folks within their purview. So all the mayors and the city councilors right. that are within their particular district right. so that's they can a, try and make sure they're represented. That's such a, a wide range and, and of towns. And I understand the size of it's scaled, you know, to where yeah. someone can handle it, but it has to have a good team around them, I'm sure. So. Yeah. And, and the biggest job of the county is uh, safety, law enforcement. Right. Um, they're tasked with providing the jail and, uh, of course, the sheriff right they also collect the taxes so that's a big part of it also the county assessor uh for the state so we they collect the count the taxes that pay the county and they also send that up to the state right and then uh let's see county sheriff and then and then health so they're the they double as the health department wow so the county commissioners also serve as the board of health um, right same county commissioners that do everything else and right. uh, there's a lot of pass-through dollars that come from federal and state. Right. So the county budget is about $600 million, and most of that is pass-through dollars. Right. That just gets dedicated to uh, things that come down from the federal level. So that's kind of Lane County. Um, now, on the state level, well, also in Lane County with Peter DeFazio, I mean, how many times has Peter DeFazio been reelected now? <laughs> it seems like he's been in my entire life. 20, uh, 20, is he a 20 years? Is it 1987? Is, it was a lot. So yeah. I was, you know, five years old. Gosh, is it 30 years now for I, him? Then? I think so. <laughs> I think so. So he, I mean, Art Robinson, always, I see that. Name. Art Robinson is the perennial contender. Right. And uh, I think Peter views him as his best friend. It's the Washington, <laughs> Washington senators and Harlem Globetrotters kind of thing. Yeah. It seems like. Yeah. And uh, Art basically has never had what it took to win that position. Yeah. But he seems to have the name recognition and he gets the support of the Republicans every single time. So, right. uh, yeah, I think at this point, Peter 
views Art Robinson when he wins the primary as a uh, layup at that. I mean, point. it's never a done deal, you know. It's never do a done deal, that, yeah. But but and especially as the tide is turning, every state's got its own. You know, there's there's turnout. I'm sure on both sides. You know, you said that there's a, a large turn. This is like one of the best turnouts in the history for a midterm. But I'm sure that it's motivating both sides. We saw that nationally that that some of the races that were close shouldn't have been, and and vice versa, and some flips. I mean, the Senate. We'll talk about that later, but on the national level, but so yeah, also numbers wise, it was the biggest turnout, right? Which is yeah. good. You know, that's, that's a good sign that a, in a functioning democracy, I still think nationally it was like 49% or something. Wasn't it turnout or was it more than that? That sounds about right. It's but still, numbers wise, it was still the most. It's a, it's yeah, a, cause it's we a, have a lot more voters now than we used to. Right. So, I mean, 30% of millennials, I think I read that 30% of millennials voted, which it's good, but still, it's like, oh, we need more. It's you know? tough to get them engaged. But, right. you know, that comes down to how is society functioning? Right. Which and is not well. People are <laughs> right now. No, people are focused on their next paycheck. Right. People are focused on their jobs. Well, then for millennials if, having a paycheck, even with the college degree. Yeah. You know? And I if mean, they're focused on their job, if they're focused on uh, a roof over their head or student loans. Right. That takes away time that they p even pay attention to politics, right. even though. Politics plays a huge part huge in how much part. they're going to be struggling. Huge part. Elizabeth Warren 2020. No. <laughs> For those students, no. Uh, so, Kate Brown, that was a really interesting, nauseating situation where, I mean, she gets reelected. And if you go on any comment board on Facebook, it's like the world is over. Yeah. You know, from the local politics. Uh, I, if I have to read, if it's Brown, flush it down one more time, <laughs> you know. But, but I mean... I think Newt Bueller showed some class and and in the concession speech, which that's always a good sign. I don't think we'll get that from Trump, but no, but, but uh, well, I, I'm sure he he doesn't view his career as over. No. And so he, and he made some serious ground. Such. And we were talking about, you know, uh, this I, I, mean, I mean, the progress that's made in the in the turnout, the Republican base in Oregon is growing, I think less, you know, I think there's obviously in or in Eugene and Portland, there's going to be a blue stronghold, but it's growing because there's a lot of people that are, you just read the comment boards. And so someone like yourself that ran in Eastland County, where it was a 50, 50 split, you said between Republicans mm -hmm. and Democrats, I'm surprised by that. Cause I would think rurally in Oregon that it would be a wider range. Well, slightly higher Democrat, right? Because of how the district and was, that maybe uh, just the people that are that are motivated to actually vote because I think that like people that aren't voting in rural areas might be more conservative. And if they get motivated, things could swing. Yeah. You know? And it's not, it's not really 50 50 because you have a lot of uh, independent and non-affiliated. That's a very voters. good point. Yeah. And really those are the swing voters. Those are the most important ones. Especially, That's a very good point. Even in Oregon, you've got the democratic party has about 960,000 registered voters. Right. The Republican party has about 790,000. And then non-affiliated folks now number about eight hundred and fifty thousand. Wow! So and then and then I always joke that in Oregon we're a great sample size for the rest of the country because everybody's a libertarian and half of the people <laughs> are for their weed, half of the people are for their guns, and some of them are for both. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know. So so I I don't view it as the um, Republican base growing here. That's a good. But yeah, that's the non-affiliated is growing. And the number of people that are disenchanted with both parties is growing. That's, yeah. And so the Democrats have been in charge for 
30 years. Sure. And you're going to continue to see pushback against that if if people's lives are not improving because of that. I wonder you got how many... one party control. Right. And that, and that can only happen for so long. That's what you see on like a Facebook board about someone like a Kate Brown. And I'm not trying to bash her. I'm just saying this is what I see is, is the is the people that have, you know, just so angry. I wonder how motivated or how much of their ear you could get because of how disgruntled they are and they want to make change. But a lot of those people I think are hardline Republicans that are saying that stuff. It's hard to say. Yeah, and it, it also is you're fighting against um, what they listen to every day. Sure. So sure. The, the Republican, the conservatives still have a domination when it comes to AM radio and an Oregon based, right? So there's sure. Yeah. 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 yeah, There's a lot of it. And I grew up listening. My dad would listen to that. When I, when I went out canvassing and you know, I talked to a lot of uh, conservatives and I, I would hear all kinds of stuff about hostility towards Kate. Oh yeah. Not, not complaints that I would necessarily agree with, although I have my qualms about her. Sure. Um, but I didn't. I didn't even bother touching it because I understand. You know, I mean, when you sure. listen to the complaints, they're legitimate complaints, right? You know, but you know what? Nobody's perfect, and and when you look at the state as a whole, there's a diverse group of people that a governor has to try to appease and has to try to represent, and nobody's going to be happy. Right. Nobody's going to be a hundred percent happy. So even though, I mean, I hang out with a lot of progressives, and the hardcore progressives that that absolutely hate to see establishment like democrat not just that but they hate to see um they hate to see that compromise right right uh, that's not where i come from but i can i get it people are mad and on both sides people are mad and they're tired of the compromise because it's what gets highlighted these well, days. We had, the compromise doesn't get highlighted these days. No, not it's at all. The, and the progressives don't. We had talked about this off air a little bit, and I wanted to kind of touch base with it with you that, you know, it's like I was watching Bill Maher last night, and they go through, and this is national, so get off the local thing for just a second, but I was watching Bill Maher, and they were forecasting for 2020, which is nauseating already, but they listed a list of names, and I think they dropped 10 or 15 names, and one of the... and you know, one missing name was Bernie Sanders. And it's so funny because they never talked about progressives. They never talked about that whole wing of the party. And they're like, we need somebody that can big, get big crowds, but we don't know if Kamala Harris can do that yet. And it's, I'm thinking Bernie, you're like Bernie. <laughs> I mean, Bernie had giant crowds, you know, and look at Beto. And, and I mean, ugh. so yeah, my, a lot of it ends up being who's the flavor of the month. And, you know, you know and, they, and they do that. I, I don't know why they do that, but it seems right. like they do it on purpose. Maybe, maybe. And that's what I was kind of taking from that. If that show is set to kind of be the voice on the national level of the Democratic Party, then maybe they're trying to not bring that conversation up too early. Because if they do, then people then get tired of hearing about Bernie and maybe they, he needs to take a back seat. So there could be that. I mean, it'll be interesting to see. We got a long the campaign starts like literally tomorrow. So, yeah, I don't think they put that much thought. into. No, it. I don't think so either. <laughs> and it, But as the progressive wing of the party is growing and growing and I would I don't know the numbers, but it's got to be 30 percent. It's got to be essentially like the Trump side of the Republicans. It's about 30 percent of. Of the country, in my opinion, is Bernie supporters. I don't know. I'd have to look at the numbers. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the numbers are, but I know that there is a lot of overlap between right. people who consider themselves progressive and people who consider themselves liberal. And when you look at what those people actually care about, it's almost the same thing. Sure. What you see, what I tend to see is 
Like when you consider Medicare for all, right? Uh, the progressives are like, do it now. We need it. We need to make this happen. And the liberals or the more centrist folks are not necessarily, they're not the people they're not, saying, they're not the people saying, no, that's, that's socialism or yeah, communism. But they're not ready yet. Because but there's, yeah, there's, they think that, that they'll lose if they do that. I think so. The they're reason- not, they're not against it because they're against it philosophically they're against it because they think they won't win see but i think the reason that they're so strongly against medicaid for all is because they're getting their pockets padded by insurance companies some of them some of them but i'm I'm more talking about the people that are in between there. right so the actual the actual voters oh the voters the actual voters some of the politicians but the actual voters that get on board with those arguments right they buy into the argument that that's too much that's too you know we're going to lose and they fear losing more than they fear right. reaching Ironically, for something. I, I feel like there's such a huge, I don't know if you'd call it libertarian because it's almost the opposite of libertarianism to have Medicaid for all, but there's a huge group of people that are independent and right-leaning that support it, that yeah. are just, they don't, you know, they think that Trump created it, <laughs> you know, and uh, I don't know. And I mean, not, actually, that's not true to the, you know, you watch every one of us has seen those things, though, where there's a Trump supporter. And that's not the independence in the slightly right I'm talking about. Some in there that, you know, that they just they think that Medicaid for all would be a great system, but they have they're voting against their better interests. And that's just the most frustrating thing that I think uh, the way that I would like to see them view Medicare for all is how that enhances our freedoms. Yeah. You know. Not financially, because you're going to be on the hook to pay for it. Right. But outside Out of, taxes, of that, but it saves money. Outside of that, run. you're going to free up so much in society. People aren't going to be tied to their jobs. Right. People aren't. People are going to be free to do what well, they want to health, do. Mental health, which is obviously a huge problem. It's like I tell people that that I talk to that are more conservative, that are Second Amendment voters for sure. That imagine if these shootings, if we had mental health people could be treated and seen. I mean, that situation that just happened in Springfield where there was a guy that was basically just had, he didn't have anything left in the tank and he wanted to take it out on other people. And so he started firing at the fire department, you know? And I mean, it's crazy with social media, how I just Googled his name or went, looked up his name on social media when they had released it. And he had left, left essentially a suicide note. You know, if this person could be treated and, and, going through therapy and I don't know his situation financially or whatnot, but that kind of stuff I think could be avoided, yeah. you know, if we had this. So, I mean that hopefully that's the push in 2020, but hopefully like you're saying, hopefully the, the Democrats aren't scared of it, you yeah. know, because the, the playing it safe things, that's not where we're at in politics anymore. You know, I mean, I think going for it at least on a, on a local level, small, we need to do that on a national level for president. We just have, you know, obviously we know what to do there. But yeah, but yeah. Uh, when I see when I see when I think about Medicare for all, I think about how it's it, it wants to provide mental and dental. Right. Those are two huge gaps that don't get covered right now. Um, it that really affect people's lives. The mental part uh, can definitely help make a dent in the number of mass shootings, I think. I, yeah, uh, huge. it'll help lower the stress level of everybody in the country right I, if you don't have those worries about bankruptcy due to medical bills or not being able to get something taken care of then when it comes to dental there's a lot of folks that can't move up that ladder the in the economic income ladder because of lack of dental 
You know, if you think about uh, my father-in-law, he had his tooth chipped right. and it basically is, was missing. And when, have, if you have ever looked at somebody that's missing a tooth and compare them to when they had the tooth, like it totally changes your perception yeah. of those people. It's unfortunate. That and if you're reality. interviewing for a job, they're doing the same thing. Well, and, infor- and if I mean, in Oregon, if you have to be in front of their customers. Yeah. There's a lot of stigmas because people absolutely with certain people, just if they look weathered because they've worked hard, yeah. then people like math, you know, <laughs> you know, and it's not fair, but it's a reality that people, right. I mean, I've had friends that, that I won't say her name, but I had a good friend of mine that she just, she grew up in the country and their water was a certain kind of water hard water and it just destroyed her teeth. So she lost all of her teeth. She had never done drugs. And then she had some of the similarities in her face, facial structure that someone would think she was very thin. Oh, I bet it was devastating for her. And she finally did get, she did get, and you're completely right. Cause she was able to, I don't remember how it was funded. I don't know if the state funded it or not, but she was able to get a full set of teeth and she, Upward mobility like nobody's business. That's like almost great. overnight. You yeah, know? that's great. And I mean, she was working at a lottery place. And then the next thing you know, she's doing a lot more than that. You know, not that that's a job is a job. But yeah, but but, but it's huge. It's yeah, huge. Totally even right. just that small change teeth. You're totally right. You're totally and, right. And, and that's not even considering all of the health effects that bad exactly. teeth causes. Exactly. And that's is, unfortunate. Which that's, is a lot. I mean, we could say what we could about about. Uh, you know, not judging people, but first impressions, that's, you don't have a lot to go on sometimes. And so just, yep. you don't want any disadvantages there. So that's a very good point. But so I wanted to t- talk about star voting. That was something that I got fully behind. I I think that that was probably the most exciting thing, the possibility for changing the way that we voted for county commissioners. And if people, I'm not going to go over exactly what it was again. You can listen to the episode if you'd like. I think it was episode 10. Uh, it was narrowly defeated, 47-53. I think that they were making such progress. I think they learned a lot, the people behind star voting, of what they're going to do next. And I think they're already going to start getting signatures. So do you think it'll be on the ballot in 2020? Yeah, uh, I think it was 47-52 because there was about, I think, 1% that abstained from voting. Okay. On it. Yeah. Because um, it, it was the, they didn't it's the undervote. 1% and it's because undervote. they didn't, I swear, the way the ballot was written, It's and that might be on the fault. They learned star voting. People learned that that score then automatic runoff, and on the ballot it said nothing about star, and they had pushed that because it's more catchy. Yeah, it wasn't in. You had to get into the description to find out that it was star voting, right? Which that's a challenge for sure. You definitely want to have a good name on your ballot measure, right? That identifies with how you marketed it. Well, one thing and it was I'm going to do harder to market it with the long. I didn't names. do it this time, but one thing I'm going to do fully next time is just go over for the podcast. Is I'm going to go over the ballot. It just just go over each way that it's going to be worded and all that stuff for each measure because there's usually five, six, seven, something like that. We can handle that for an hour. Yeah, you know. So that'll be we got idea. time, but but that'll be a good thing to do because there's not local resources that are just common man or, uh, you know, it's necessary. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do here. We're not always going to talk about politics because there's more to life than that, and we should take a couple weeks off. I got Santa Claus coming up next <laughs> month. You know, some fun stuff. Uh, right on. But yeah, star voting. Uh, I don't know exactly what our next step is. We're going to analyze the results. Right. Uh, I, my opinion, I'm not in charge of this, but I'm on the team. Um, I think we need to figure out where it got the most votes. You can actually break it down precinct level right. by precinct Which level. Which is huge. And figure out where it actually won and where it lost. And where you and need then, to work harder. And then you target, well, you target where it won. And, that, and maybe if you've got a precinct in, let's say, Eugene or Springfield that overwhelmingly went for it 
Maybe you go for something within that precinct that utilizes star voting. Could be, uh, you may even, if all of a city went for it, you might try and go for that city council. So right. you could change the Eugene city council to star voting. Um, that may be the next step. Start something smaller, maybe. Yeah. Is essentially. Yeah, you can it, basically go anywhere. Yeah, because uh, I think it was it's actually Isaac. a really good result. So the the petitioners are pretty happy sure. that we ended up at forty seven percent. We got over seventy thousand votes. Yeah. And for the first time out, we, with only a small crew of people working on this, because there were so many people working on those statewide ballot measures and trying to make sure that Kate Brown got elected. And, right. Uh, yeah, I mean it was just a small band of uh, merry people. But even star voting was a nonpartisan issue and it was Absolutely. something that got people from across the board probably people that were arguing about kate brown yeah <laughs> you know you know Absolutely. In, the, in that room absolutely that. and so. and and i think the key is people need to get comfortable with it right so we they have the ability we have the ability to create practice ballots right on any subject and if you go to facebook um i've pushed a couple out um one of them is picking your favorite dessert one of them is uh, Trump's ballot from uh, 2016, where it's got uh, crazy Bernie, um, crooked Hillary, right? Ru- uh, Russia. Trump's Trump's names <laughs> for all of the candidates. Oh, right. Lion right. Ted, right? And so you can you can vote on the 2016 ballot right. using that, and it, it's just another way that people can kind of have fun and get used to using star voting. Right. And really, I think the goal is push it out. All as many places as we can, so that people can get used to using it. See how easy it is, because the really the uh, the focus of the campaign was on the mechanics of it, and I think that was where it made it Maybe, challenging. Yeah. Well, that's what's good. A about lot of this. people want to see the change, but they don't care about how the sausage is made. Sure, that's what's good about the you know the people Mark and Sarah, Mark Fronmeyer and Sarah Wolf that came and talked to me on the podcast. I you know became friends with them through social media after that and. Just to watch the way that their optimism is. I mean, Sarah, especially, you could see it in her eyes how she, I think this is the first time she had done something with politics and she's just, it's, she's just getting started. That yeah. girl's got a bright future in it, you know? So, yeah, she's great. So, um, on an, I wanted to kind of touch on the national stage, you know, for a lot, really just for the, the average voter that may not be a huge, uh, political person that listens to this podcast. They, I don't know if they've already stomached this much, but, but, uh, <laughs> You know what it really means for the Democrats to have won the House. Now in the Senate, I mean the Republicans actually picked up seats. There's it's so Florida's possibly, still in place. Possibly. Florida's still there's, in play. There's a, so is Arizona, and Arizona just flipped. Um, the Democrat is now leading in the Arizona race, and so Florida's still in play. Florida's potentially still in play. There's going to be definitely a machine recount and it sounds like it's close enough to be a hand recount right which i think is huge and it's a really big thing because what i've really kind of been thinking about lately is with sessions being fired and this new appointee potential whitaker that is just a hand i mean literally he just talked about how much he loved trump on television and got a job for it (laughs) yeah so he and then his job is to fire Mueller. like that's essentially what it is to end the russia that's literally what it is and well, so, I think he's going to starve him financially. Yeah. And uh, he, been, he just won't fund the investigation. Well, and that's I'm, how you, that's how you kill it without firing in him. that in that situation. I mean, has I wonder if Mueller's we've I've been reading about how he if he gives the information to state attorney generals like in New York before that happens so they can continue the investigation there on their own with the information he has. Is that true? I mean, it, I, it, I have no idea. Yeah, it's, but it's, I would be surprised if there is. 
if he's allowed to give federal investigation information yeah to I'm the just state wonder, level. I don't think it's that ever would gonna, be surprising to me I don't think was, it's ever going to be public now one think, thing that's a possibility could be if he gets fired is that now we have the uh, house the Democrats hold the house and they, they could subpoena the records no they well they could subpoena the records but they could also uh have Mueller be their investigator in the house because they have the ability to do investigations. Wow. So that's huge. It, and I don't, it's I big. mean, because I, I think people, I'm not, I don't like the term blue wave, to be honest, or red tsunami, whatever they want to call it, because <laughs> I feel like it motivates the wrong crowd. Like Absolutely. a lot of times when you say we're going to have blue wave, then the other side's like, oh, bet, bet your ass ain't. But <laughs> so I don't know. And I, I mean, it wasn't. Yeah, when not, you talk, when, when I hear, when you hear about blue wave, it's all about the party. Right. Instead of about the issues and about the people. And that's the pro- that's a problem. Uh, you know, yeah, it's not it's not good. And God, it was just so ugly on Facebook and it's never going to change. <laughs> but it was just so ugly how if someone even said something defending, say, Kate Brown, for example, and then people are like, red tsunami. Take that. And it's like that doesn't mean anything <laughs> like it doesn't. I don't know. The Trump train, you know, you know, whatever. I don't know. I'm not a fan of that. At people all. get people get used to not having constructive dialogue on Facebook. It's, and I think we just got to be used to that. I've been seeing a few things where people are trying to at least not get triggered so easily. So people are like, okay, why is it that because they're so t- and Thanksgiving's coming up. So you have to figure out how to get along with your uncle, you know, but uh, I, you know, I've been seeing some people on both sides engaging with each other and trying to be respectful, at least allowing now that the election is over for the midterm for a while, for a couple of weeks, <laughs> at least they want to like ease up on the stresses of it. Because back in the day, I just remember we didn't have control over what happens. So we would talk about it and then we would be like, Rip, can't really do nothing about it, you know, and that was the end of it. More people are engaged. And like yourself, where everybody that is in politics starts as an average citizen, but you more than almost any politician I've met locally are just, you know, you're a regular citizen that is now motivated and, and, and is able to make a difference and use your voice. I wish everyone would do that, but that's a, it's a thing. Politicians are jobs for people, like I said in the beginning, being a republic to where they can represent the person that doesn't have time, Yeah, you know, so... Yeah, we just got to figure out how to get the people engaged. Here's a question the that, that we could be here for months. How do we get money out of politics? Because I think the money in politics is what is destroying it, create the, allowing the two-party system to thrive and just divide and conquer. And I think that money out of politics, meaning candidates that don't take PAC money, candidates that aren't just flooded by big, big you know donations. I mean, Beto ran this campaign where he didn't take any big money and he almost won in Texas. So yeah. obviously it's an option. I think his optimism is his product. Yeah. Know? It's big. Uh, with those kind of races that can get national attention, um, you have the ability to win without taking big money, without taking pack money or corporate money. Right. Uh, it's a challenge for other races that don't have that same type of attention. So like the County commission race, Hard to get the attention and people excited enough to give enough money for you to compete against the big money. Right. So there's there are there are certain races um, that it's it's viable, but it doesn't really point to we don't have to change anything for it to be viable. Right. 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 For for the average candidate. 
So there's a number of ways that we can address this. And there's, there's people trying to do this all over the place. Um, we're limited based on court rulings and the law that says money is speech and corporations are people. Right. Uh, clearly some and that's things not that changing, especially with who is just appointed. Not going to change anytime Citizens soon. I wouldn't United, think. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're stuck with what can we do working within those parameters and a couple of things that we can do. And there's things that, that are happening locally um, is look to publicly funded elections. Right. Ideally publicly funded elections would happen for everybody, but that would entail a restriction of big money and you can't do that yet. So, the alternative is small dollar enhancing small dollar donations and that happens by amplifying them you you end up with a public match of say 6 to 1 which is like what we have as a proposal here in Oregon didn't pass the last session but it may pass next session yeah uh, what that will do is it sets limits on who can participate with that based on their levels of donations so in the particular bill that we have here at Oregon it's a $200 limit. You can't take more than $200 from anybody. And if you don't, you every donation you get will get matched six to one. Six so, to one by tax dollars? Yeah, publicly funded. Ooh, I don't know. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's a really good idea. Yeah. And and the way that it was funded, I, I can't remember the way that it was funded, but it was a, it was funded in a way that was sustainable. I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that this... That's a tough one. And you also, there's other, there's other qualifications minimum. Right. So like you have to get like 50 minimum I, donations. You have to show some level of support. You can't just declare candidacy and start getting the match. Okay. So you have to actually meet a threshold, right? Because there's not unlimited. I just, of I don't know how I feel about public funding on, on politician campaigns because. Well, when you're, I mean, I think if that you think about this, if you think about you People work for who pays them. Right. Who's your employer? When when big money is in there, that's who's paying them. Well, I'm an independent contractor, if it's, so. If it's publicly funded, <laughs> you know, I if mean, it's publicly funded, it's the public that's paying them. Yeah. So yeah. they you are working for the public at that point. You don't have big donors to rely on. You're not looking to them for direction. Right. You don't have to spend your time calling big donors to win an election. You're going to be talking just, to regular just, folks. It's so tough. I think there'd have to be such transparency through something like publicly funded campaigns. I, don't, I mean, I guess the average voter, like myself, to be honest, just doesn't even aware how some of this stuff goes. And when it comes to like television coverage, maybe some of that needs to be subsidized, you know, and obviously that where it's equal time, you know, and it's boring and it's infomercials, but people will watch that as long as they need to give equal time. They don't, you know, and obviously on the national scale. I mean, the numbers were in the billions of the coverage that Trump got. And there was empty stages when a candidate like Bernie Sanders was speaking to thousands of people, you know, tens yep. of thousands. And they were not even talking about that it existed. Yeah. I don't know. So uh, there's another solution to big money out of politics that I've been trying to work towards. I'm I'm still formulating it. Um, and basically, it comes at it from a different direction. The courts have said we can't limit money in politics. Um, money is speech. So what we can do legally is enhance our conflicts of interest rules. Right. And so if we look to say, uh, if let's say we create a law that says if you're, if you're an elected official and there's something in front of you, there's a bill in front of you that benefits one of your corporate donors, 
you have to recuse yourself. Right. Now, suddenly, those corporations that gave money to that candidate, they're disincentivized from doing that because they're not going to be able to vote on the issue they want, need them to vote on. Exactly. I think if we do that, um, it will change the, the whole dynamic. Right. And you will probably see a shift to publicly funded well, elections at that point. It'll be interesting to see, like you said, you're kind of formulating that. That'll be interesting to see. Where, it's going to be you, complicated to word it because you you don't want to... You don't want to disincentivize people from getting engaged and right. and you, the small what dollar about, donations. I mean, this, what what about uh, like if you get through the primary for each party, and this is I guess supporting the two party system, whatever. But if you if top two candidates, what about in a general election if all of the money goes in the pot and is split evenly? But then that's the, the issue. Then that's just the general. Would that be possible in the primary as well for a candidate like yourself that was running? to be third party essentially, but part of the democratic wing in a nonpartisan seat. But, but if everybody put it into a pot and then it was divvied up to p between the candidates, that seems more challenging, but that's basically what public funded what elections public is. is. Yeah. <laughs> it's where all of the money goes but I, into but I one. Mean, but see, that's my biggest, if that's funded by the supporters and not cause they're choosing to, do you know what I mean? Like having, I, right. just, I, I can imagine there's some type of, that's some type of restriction on speech because you're, forcing them to fund an opponent well that's i mean i think the tax dollar aspect is i completely agree with that too though that but yeah that's the challenge there's always yeah, a challenge to how to make it happen it's tough a lot and of it, good ideas out there and but... it's and it's something that that maybe i mean we could probably have a full episode about that because because it's something that needs to happen is money out of politics and how does that happen i mean i think it's something that even bernie sanders will just say but uh, how you know what I mean? Like how? And there's a lot of things with Bernie that I really like. And there's a lot of things. It's like, how? I remember with Ron Paul, he got a lot of support across the board, kind of in the middle of people. And he was talking about auditing the Fed. And I was like, how? okay, when that happens, let me know. And I'm going to go on vacation for 10 years because I don't want to be here when that's happening. I mean, I think <laughs> it's a good thing to do, you know, but at what cost? I don't know. Like, so there's a lot of things that drastic changes like that. Well, I think Bernie, his focus was on Citizens United and right. getting that overturned. Right. And his solution was to have Supreme Court justices that would overturn it. Now that that's not going to be a reality for a long time, right? I'm interested to see what his next, sure. what he comes up with And next. he's a brilliant man, so we'll see where he goes. Yeah. And unfortunately, I'm sure you heard about Ruth Bader Ginsburg falling and breaking yeah, three yeah. ribs. She's so. back to work now, though, at I least. I mean, she's an animal. She's 80, <laughs> 83 years old or... Wow. Yeah. And we're just, you know, I mean, anybody that truly believes in a democracy wants a balance of power. And so three people to a point, how many did Obama put into the Supreme Court? Was it two or was it three? I think it was two. Okay. Three is pretty bold when it's a third of the, you know. Yeah. But I mean, I guess the Congress, is, would the Congress have enough pushback? It's the Senate that puts a Supreme Court. They're going to be able to keep putting them in. Yeah. If they hold on to the Senate, they're going to keep putting them in, not just the Supreme Courts, but... They've so during Obama's term, the Republicans starved our judiciary system. They would not approve of any judges. Yeah, right. The only one people were paying attention to were the Supreme Court justice Merrick Garland when they when they stopped that nomination from but happening and left that smaller. Open. But yeah. they were doing it all up and down yeah. the the ticket, and so we ended up there was over a hundred and thirty vacancies with federal court judges. And as soon as Trump got in office and you had the Republican majority in the House and Senate, they started filling them. That was their that was their task. They did it day in and day out. 
all day long. Yeah. They just because it's they stick to a blueprint. They strategize yep. and they stick to a blueprint. And that's the thing that's, you know, people, the pundits and whatever always talk about the wings of the party. It's like there's one party and it's literally at this point, it's Donald Trump, you know? And yeah. so, I mean, it. Well, part of the problem is, is the Republicans know that the Supreme Court can make laws when oh, Congress yeah. won't. Yeah. Right. Because they have to interpret it. And and if Congress is so dysfunctional, which they've made sure that it is, uh, Congress won't be able to fix the things right. based on the rulings that the Supreme Court puts out. So they've been vocally um, announcing their strategy. I mean, they have made no bones about it. They wanted to get Supreme Courts. They That's why all everybody votes. For, that's why all the Republicans fall in line. Right. It's because and then they know that it's the Supreme Court is the goal. And now Trump, that makes it a partisan position. Right. That well, makes it. And, and if you had the Democrats doing the same thing, the Supreme Court would basically lose all credibility because it would it would be a 100 percent partisan right. body. And I think that the Democrats have been taking the high road and they haven't been yeah, using that uh, yeah. to energize their base. It's ironic because it's it's, you know, I remember in 2004. That's been a long time now, but in 2004, the the exit polls, all they talked about was moral values, moral values, which <laughs> if anybody comes to me and voted for Trump and continues to support him because of anything and then talks to me about moral values, they can shove it yeah. because that man has none. I mean, calling someone stupid and that kind of, that's childish and we could just be here for days, but it was never about moral values. I've always said this, that with gay rights, they didn't actually care about the ethics or morals of it. They didn't want to insure their partners. That's all it comes down to. You have to follow the money. Again, money out of politics. Yeah. But, ah, it's so well, they're, they're very good at dividing. They're right. very good at dividing based on very narrow And then one issue ideas. voters, they get one issue yep. voters, whether it's abortion whether it's gun control, whether it's, that's all they focus on is like, how do we get these one, one issue voters? Because it's easy, you know? And then the Democrats are like, how do we listen to each other? And it's like, you can't like, that's not how politics work anymore. Yeah. And I mean, I think it started with Lee Atwater. It's probably been going on for hundreds of years, but it, it become, came something that was televised like at, with Lee Atwater. And if people don't know about Lee Atwater, he ran George Bush seniors campaign his there's a documentary it's probably on amazon prime i don't think it's on netflix called boogeyman that is an incredible documentary if you haven't seen it i recommend i have it. not seen it we should get this uh wrapped up uh well, a couple of things though that yeah, we didn't, yeah yeah that we didn't touch on um <clears throat> one is at the state level here in oregon uh we did the democrats did end up getting a super majority so they expanded one house seat and one senate seat so they now have three-fifths in both houses that was a huge victory for the Democrats like that. Right. They've been trying to do that for a while because the Republicans have been obstructing any type of taxes, any type of uh, changes in the tax code at the state level that basically need to happen in order to fix the PERS problems that we have, the uh, infrastructure right. problems that we have. So there's a lot of hope that with that supermajority now, We'll be able to see more things happen. Well, I'm going to be interested to see how my dad feels about that. He's a very strong conservative Republican from in Oregon, and he's always threatened to move to Washington. Well, now he's 65, so <laughs> so, so things change a little bit. It's kind. Of, I'm gonna. It'll be. I don't. I obviously Thanksgiving is not a good time to talk politics. So don't do that. Talk to your family about politics on Thanksgiving. But I haven't talked to him since the election, and my entire life I've I've heard how terrible Oregon's legislature is and how the democrats never let anybody business you know he's a printer 
doesn't play into the fact that everything's online now, but we could be here for days. See, but, now I would give the opposite advice. I would say talk to, talk politics, especially at Thanksgiving. There's people that you can. But the, the, the thing is, is how we talk about politics. Right. That's what needs to change. We can't talk about politics with our family like we're listening to Fox News. Right. Because that is designed to stoke emotion and outrage. Well, and it's, What we need to do when we're talking politics, especially with family, is recognize that there's a human being in front of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not, we're not on the internet. We're not typing to, we can see how they're um, reacting. We can actually see if they're using sarcasm and we could, we just need to realize that there is a connection there. Right. And we need to try to be able to talk about these things. Right. Without getting so emotional. Well, the sarcasm I think is healthy and that we're keeping thing, that divide. Yeah. You know, the sarcasm is healthy and I think that that's lost on. And I would, on. and I would also think focus on, um, the goals. Right. So what are what are the goals? Not don't just talk about the divisive issues, right. but like go deeper than that. Why is that important? You right. know, because I th I think it doesn't get to that level. I think if you dig down, I think we talked about this at the last time the we last talked. Interview, yeah. But when you dig down and you and you work your way back from these surface level problems, when you get down to the root cause of the problem, I think both sides, all sides, identify the problem. It's the same. It's just that we diverge on how to solve it. Right. And if we can more closely align on those solutions, then I think we'll be able to work together a lot easier. I think that at Thanksgiving, there's a rule of thumb I keep talking about. There's three things that you probably shouldn't bring up at the table, and that's abortion, gun control, and Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. See, now, the, the and this will take it just a couple minutes, so I hope you don't no, mind running good, over, but... When it comes to abortion, I think that's a conversation that should happen. At the because, table? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, so, I mean, it can happen outside the table. But what what we need to realize is that I think for the most part, people don't want to see more abortions. Doesn't matter uh, well, which side totally it is. True, right. That's why we talk about pro-choice. We don't say pro-abortion. Right. We say pro-choice. And we have to talk about what that actually means. Because if you take Colorado, Colorado for a number of years, had a really good program of providing um, contraception and sex education. And the number of abortions that happened in Colorado, the number of unplanned pregnancies, the number of teen pregnancies, was way low. And probably way, way down. sexually transmitted diseases that as too. well. Yeah. But, but when we're talking about strictly abortion, the numbers were way, way down. Something changed. New people got elected. They got rid of the sex education program. They wanted to push abstinence and they got rid of the contraception right. program. Suddenly, abortions skyrocketed. Unplanned pregnancies skyrocketed. People, women, if you put them in a situation where it's their life, their lives, their livelihood, their economic situ their economic future, basically, or an abortion. They've got to go with their economic future. Right. Again, you know, follow that, the money. The reason I've yeah. always felt like abortion, like the Catholic Church is against it, is because if the person has an unwanted pregnancy and doesn't go through with it, that's one less Catholic person. <laughs> and so it's all it's all follow the money. It's you can all, also point to the labor market for that, too. It's true. It's I more mean, cheap labor that's being born. You know, and there's a real controversial... Uh, documentary Freakonomics. Have you ever read that book or watched that documentary? No. Uh -uh. So they talk about in when Roe v. Wade was passed in New York, thirty year thirty years later, how the crime rate went down in New York because there was, I don't know. Now that when you think of these things and what makes it controversial is then you're thinking about that potential life, 
Do you know what I mean? But when it's something that that's where the debate has to happen and it's difficult for some people to grasp is like, when is like, when does life begin? You know? Yeah. So, so, well, so the direction I take is, is, is your goal to have zero abortions? Right. And is that a realistic goal? Right. I don't think it's a realistic goal because went back when abortion was illegal, we had 500,000, right. a million, 2 million so abortions. contraception and, sa- and safe sex and stuff So like if we can agree that the goal is to reduce the number of abortions as low as possible because we actually don't want to see the abortions. Now, that's a different argument. That's something that we can get on board with. Now, what's the best way to do that? And we actually have data that shows contraceptions, right. sex education. You know what the- Those are the best ways to reduce that. And so if we can actually reduce it to a level that's lower than what we've seen when it's made illegal, how, is right. it, isn't that a win? You know what they talked about in the 50s is they said, take that birth control pill and put it between your kneecaps. <laughs> I think they said it was a Tic Tac, <laughs> but that's what they taught. They said, just have a woman take the birth control pill and hold it between her kneecaps. Which is just ignorance. Yes. But that's literally what they taught. <laughs> Seriously. So is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we wrap up? Uh, I, I think we covered a lot. I mean, yeah, we I covered re- a lot. I really I do appreciate you coming back and talking to me. And, and one of the things that I think will have a reoccurring thread, you're going to finally get a little bit of time off from politics. And hopefully, I mean, I know it's nonstop. You never, you never quit, which I totally admire. But one of the things I'd like to have you on to talk about is just the future of the Democratic Party. I know a lot of my listeners aren't Democrat, but hey, at least you can hear two guys that aren't crazy. You know, and we're not telling you how to think and and how to how to even vote, you know, because we believe in a democracy and the different voices. And so we're just using ours. Yeah. Right? And, and and I got to say, I've, I was an independent almost my whole life. Right. Up until just a few years ago, about four years ago. And. I am not a party person. No. I mean, at, at my core, I'm not a party person. I'm an independent. And you've got to realize that the two parties have control of our system. Right. And how are you going to get And if you want to see change, it's not going to happen outside of those two parties. Right. So what Bernie started, which is what got me really engaged, but what Bernie is trying to do is reform the Democratic Party. When, when the Democratic Party is so bad when their messaging is terrible and they're ignoring the people they're top down trying to control everything people are getting disengaged and they're losing to horrible candidates like trump right there is no reason that anybody should have lost to trump yeah and you know there's something wrong when that happens so at that point you cannot continue to let the democratic party function the way it had been right so what i'm what i argue for and um what i would like to see people do is don't consider it being in the party or working within the party as somehow uh, joining the party in any way that um, approves of what happened previously in that party. Right. You know, I view it as we need to start third parties, but it needs to happen within the Democratic Party. Right. So you have. Uh, and I think that for the listener, they can go back and listen to your episode, episode four, because you talked yeah. at length about coalitions. Yeah. And I think that was really important. So and that has to happen within the party. That's the great thing about this podcast is that it's not necessarily all time sensitive or chronological, but you go back and listen to James episode number four, if you haven't, because he talks at length about, about this and it was really good. So you had mentioned Trump and I, I think it's a perfect segue. We do have to wrap it up. I'm going to end this episode <laughs> with a song that's a little bit of a snarky comedy take, but a very serious issue that I wrote back in uh, 2017. And it's, uh, 
It's called Cheeto in the White House. And so this is me, Self-Esteem Boat Willie, with the song Cheeto in the White House. James Barber, thank you very much for coming. Thanks for having me. In the White House is a Cheeto with an ego. His tiny hands writing orders one a week or two to suit and show a lack of support for what he's doing. Civil war is for sure brew. Streets are filled with causes of humanity and peace. Minds with disgust with easy fight bigotry. Misogyny and honesty, I'm quite embarrassed. Respect in America is the rarest form of communication. Seems to have a breakdown. Looks like it's time to take down the fascist regime. What we must do with peacefully if we want our country to stay Outside skateboarding Back is the feeling of the 80s skater punk Who picked up America later in a funk It's either in a battle with the ethics of survival Of the fittest versus the jury of the hypocrites I get it It's a true test of character, it's painful to watch Like an electric parasite on the host Turn up a notch, it's to test your patience But we can't afford to distance other nations Become the laughing stock Led by a narcissist Half of the states are pissed about all of this But I digress In the White House is a Gino with an ego His tiny hands writing orders Why don't we go to the streets And show a lack of support for what he's doing Civil war is for sure brewing Streets are filled with causes of humanity and peace Minds with disgust with easy fight bigotry Misogyny and honesty I'm quiet and embarrassed Respect in America is the rarest Communication seems to find a breakdown Looks like it's time to take down The fascist regime But we must do it peacefully If we want our country to stay free Trees are filled with causes of humanity and peace Minds with disgust with easy fight bigotry Misogyny and honesty I'm quite embarrassed Respect in America is the rarest Form of communication seems to find a breakdown it's time to take down the fascist regime But we must do it peacefully If we want our country to stay free Trees are filled with causes of humanity and peace Minds with disgust with easy fight bigotry Misogyny and honesty I'm quite embarrassed Respect in America is the rarest Form of communication seems to find a breakdown Looks like it's time to take down the fascist regime But we must do it peacefully If we want our country to stay